0: Praise the Lord, enjoyed that, and uh, that's what music's for, to worship our very worthy God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, It does a lot of other things, it blesses us and sometimes prepares us for preaching and other things like that, but uh, I appreciate music that causes us to think upon the Savior, to really meditate on who He is. there's sometimes music is great just as us sort of singing our testimony or talking about you know various maybe truths or principles from the scriptures I I like those I think there's a place for all that but uh, I don't know maybe I'm just kind of going off on my own tangent here a little bit but I I like that kind of music music that exalts my Savior makes me think about him Uh, speaking about music that exalts the Savior go to Psalm 19 in your Bible Uh. I know it's when Pastor had first asked me to preach most recently, it was for Mother's Day, and then uh, Brother Strange came, and I always enjoy hearing him, so that worked out very well and enjoyed that message. Um, but how many of you ever ever heard a Mother's Day message on Memorial Day? Okay, so this is going to be a first for all of us. I'm just kidding. No, I went somewhere else, but it's not a Memorial Day message specifically, but hey, for the Christian, every day is a Memorial Day of sorts. We're to be remembering our Savior who died for us. That should be every day, every day. And uh, the great psalmist David, uh, amongst many other things, he, he wrote a lot of psalms, and Psalm 19 uh, is one of those. Um, you know, they didn't have all the, the modern technology and convenience of music. I know to us, music is so ubiquitous, especially, uh, you know, the, the younger generation. It seems like they've got something in their ears almost all the time. And your music is just, you know, you swipe on your phone and you hear what you want, when you want, as often as you want. You know, probably too much to some degree. But uh, back in the day when David is writing here, if you wanted to hear music... You either had to sing yourself or go somewhere that someone was singing it. You had to listen to it live. That was the only option. And so they wrote uh, psalms, oftentimes, for use in their worship. And this is Psalm 19. Uh, It's to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Uh, And let's go ahead and read a bit here, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth, rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you again for this day, for this time, Lord, that we gather together. Um, Lord, thank you for the music that has gone before, and uh, Lord, pray that you just help us to focus for these next few moments on what you'd have for us from your word. Uh, Pray you'd bless your people, Lord. Pray that you would bring conviction where it's needed. Pray that you'd bring strength and comfort from the scriptures. And bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 19 breaks up, at least I think, pretty nicely into sort of three parts. Uh, the first part being these first six verses here that we read, then verses uh, 7 down through verse 11, talking specifically about the word of God, and then those last few verses there about the response Of the hearer or the the seer. And uh, I sort of titled this uh, God's Show and Tell. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember or uh, back in school days, you'd sometimes have show and tell days. You know, you'd get to bring something in and talk about it. And uh, the most memorable one for me by far, my grandfather was a beekeeper. And so he one day, he built one of the bee houses with glass walls inside and, and then covered it like regular, but then he got it full. And then once it was full, he closed the opening to it and took off all the wood on the outside. And then he brought it to my class for me to and to talk about with them. And uh, they got to see this, you know, this big beehive that's all plexiglass on the outside, so you could see through it. And the honeycomb is in there, and watching all these bees work, it was absolutely fascinating. And I just I loved it. And I thought, what a great uh, example of what I think the Lord is telling us here when he says that the heavens declare the glory of God. They declare it. They speak it loudly, loudly. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. And I thought about this a little bit uh, throughout this psalm as sort of a top down. The, the heavens, that's, that's pretty broad, Uh, Paul talked about over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he was once caught up into the third heaven. So we have this idea of at least there's sort of where the birds and the airplanes fly. And then there's the second heaven being outer space or the cosmos. And the third heaven uh, being God's throne room, if you will. But he says the, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, that's sort of this down closer to earth layer that we can sort of get our hands on, right? That's the, the breeze, the birds, the, uh, the trees, where we can sort of experience some of God's creation as well. It, it shows us his handiwork from the third heaven to the second to the first to the word of God that's spoken of in these following verses and then right into the heart of man, the worshiper, or at least the one that should be caused and drawn worship based on what God has said. Uh, Flip over to First Corinthians, excuse me, First Chronicles 16, real quick. First Chronicles 16. David here is again giving thanks to the Lord. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, beginning in verse 23, he says, Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation that sounds a little bit like what we just read declare his glory among the heathen his marvelous works among all nations for great is the lord and greatly to be praised he also is to be feared above all gods now that's that caught my attention as i was reading it these past couple of days because Especially in maybe our our modern way of thinking, we sometimes probably get the idea that, well, we worship, you know, even if we're right thinking, the the God of the Bible. But then there's all these other gods, too. You know, I mean, the Muslims have Allah, and and then there's Buddha, and there's, there's all these other gods. And you could read a verse like that and say, God is just telling us, make sure he's the most important among all the other gods that are out there. How many gods are there? there's one true God. And and realistically, when it's talking about other gods, make sure you keep the right frame of mind. See, we set up gods in our mind, and we refer to them as that. Some people build idols out of wood and call them gods, but they aren't really God. Now, Now draw the line here. Allah isn't really God. I know that might be a stretch for some, or you might say, you're treading on thin ice there. Maybe so, but God is saying here, he says that for all the gods, verse 26, of the people are idols. He's saying, yeah, there are other gods in the vernacular use of the word because people have made idols and they call them gods. So God's saying, yeah, I'll refer to them, little g gods, if you want to call them that. But here's how he makes the distinction. For all the gods of the people are idols. That is, they aren't real. But the Lord made the heavens. That's how you distinguish between gods and God. God made the heavens. Other gods were made by men. That's a pretty serious distinction. It's not just, oh, well, they're different people and they have different doctrines. No, they're worshiping a fabrication of their own mind. Maybe aided by the devil, I'll grant you. The heavens declare the glory of God, the one, true, all-powerful, almighty creator and sustainer of all things. According to Psalm 14, it's only the fool who looks at these things and says in his heart, there is no God. The difference is between looking at all this, the creation around us, the heavens that declare it, the firmament that shows it, and saying, oh, God made this, or this is God. (laughs) This tree is God, or what I make from the tree is God. No, God made the tree. And he made you as well. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We need to look up. We need to be looking into the, <clears throat> the creation of Lord, the Lord and seeing his mighty works. But God is obviously cognizant of how this can go wrong as well. In fact, he alludes to it here in through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter four. He's telling them not to make any idols. He says, when you've heard from me, you didn't see any similitude or imagery. God says, I gave you words. Verse 18, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. Look at verse 19. And lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, And when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all the nations under the whole heaven. God's saying, don't look up at his creation and be driven to worship the creation more than the creator. And man does that, doesn't he? I'm talking about mother nature. There's no mother nature. That's, that's the exact same thing that we were just talking about with other gods. I mean, yeah, there's mother nature in the sense that we've concocted this idea and people use it. We, we all know what we mean when you say the phrase. But she doesn't, she's not real. <laughs> you got, got it? There is no mother nature. There's just father God. Go back, if you're back in Psalms, go back a few Psalms to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. So God's warning them about thinking the wrong way when they observe his creation, when they look into the heavens or handle the firmament or the things that are around them. David had the right idea in Psalm 8. This again is to the chief musician, the Psalm of David. In Psalm 8 in verse 1, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. I mean, the heavens are pretty glorious if you have eyes to see it. I mean, even the pictures that we get back and uh, what we can observe through telescopes and so forth, it is glorious. But God set his glory far above that. Far above that. Look at verse three. David said, when I consider thy heavens. You ever consider the heavens? I have laid there on a bright starlit night sometimes and just makes you wonder. And David was wondering this here. He says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. And here's what David thought. He said, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Rather than making you think, oh, we're the masters of the universe or talking about mother nature Saving the planet or whatever else you come up with. David looked at it and said, Lord, I'm just completely in awe. When I consider your heavens, I just don't know how you're even mindful of me. Look, I go up in an airplane, you get up at 30, 40, 50,000 feet and look down, and I think, they just look like ants down there, right? And that's just my little human pea brain perspective of things. David's saying, God, you're, you're high above all the cosmos in glory and yet you know me, you you think about me, you think I'm important, enough to communicate with me? Amazing, absolutely amazing. David's attitude is the right one when we are considering the heavens, which declare God's glory. Verse two, back in Psalm 19, says, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. That correlates nicely with the declaring of his glory and the showing of his handiwork. Here we're uttering speech and showing knowledge. Just a couple years back, uh, now I guess what, about two years, we finally got the uh, James Webb Space Telescope launched out there. I think it's like four times as far away as the moon. And I want to say it was like 14 years past the day it was supposed to be done and some gazillion, billion numbers of dollars past budget, but they got it up there. And you listen to these scientists talk about what this thing is going to do. Now, I think it will bring back some amazing pictures that I'm going to look at as magnifying the heavens that my God created. I'm, I'm happy to look at them. But they think it's going to teach them how the universe formed and how it all came about. I mean, they've got the most grandiose expectations that their little toy that they put up in the space is going to somehow answer all the questions of life for them. It's psychotic, frankly. Scientists, many of them brilliant minds throughout history have done the same silly stuff. Silly stuff. Copernicus, Galileo, in that case both... Catholics. Uh, Galileo, I think, is the one that said that uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how the heavens go. It tells us how to go to heaven. I'm sure many people think, well, that's such a nice little platitude. But if the Bible's not accurate when it's talking about God's creation, then why is it accurate when it's talking about anything else? Darwin came along wrote a book called The Origin of Species, where he never tells you what the origin of species is? I mean, does that strike anybody as odd? If Brother Flynn wrote a book about the history of the automobile, but he never told you where the automobile came from, you'd go, man, that's a great book, brother. I was just amazed. No, it'd be crazy. Crazy. Einstein. Look, these are all brilliant minds. Einstein was no doubt a genius. God gave him that intellect. Brilliant. And yet he's famous for saying, I want to think God's thoughts. Yet he never picked this up to know God's thoughts. He thought he was going to see him out there. He was obviously before the James Webb telescope, but he thought he was going to find God's thoughts somewhere out there. No, God's thoughts are in here. So if you want to know them, it doesn't matter how smart you are, you're not wise if you don't seek God where God has revealed himself. You got other men, like Sir James Simon, who you may not know the name of. 1840, he developed the use of chloroform. It was used incredibly for soldiers during the Civil War, for example. This man was a Bible believer. He actually, according to his testimony, read about Adam or God putting Adam to sleep. And through, as a scientist, he came across chloroform. Uh, you got to give this guy credit for one thing. He tried it on himself first. That's how he learned it worked. He put himself to sleep using chloroform and uh, proved it out. Now, that's not what they use today, but it helped a lot of people back in the day. And he got his spark from the scripture. As a scientist, he said, My greatest discovery is when I learned that I am a great sinner, but Jesus died that I might live. Now, there's a scientist. Verse 3, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Now, what is their referring to? It's referring back to the heavens and the firmament. This whole first few verses here, it's talking about how those things speak. They talk to us. And it says there is no speech and no language where their voice isn't heard. You know, speech in general baffles evolutionists anyway. Scientists in general. They don't know how speech evolved. What, what organism decided, I think I want to start communicating. I'm going to try some stuff out. Here, let me run this by you, see if it makes any sense. We still don't know why human beings communicate with language. I mean, I know why. Not to sound like I'm boasting, but I know why we do, because that's how God made us. I think everyone in this room, if you don't, you now know the answer. You can impress all your teachers and your friends. This language transcends national boundaries, language boundaries, Knowledge boundaries, you don't have to go get a college degree to know it. Informational boundaries, doesn't matter if you have access to the internet or not. God's creation speaks. And it speaks clearly, it speaks loudly in a language that every human heart can understand. Bible says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's another thing. Why does food taste good? Does anybody know? I mean in evolutionary terms it doesn't make sense that food tastes good. Did we somebody just decided along the way they want to start liking apples so that they cultivate it's nonsense. It tastes good because that's what God wanted. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. Right out of the book. Okay, you can use that one too. Line them up. Their line verse 4 is gone out through all the earth. Line, that's an interesting word in the scripture. First time it's used is over in uh, Joshua chapter 2 where it talks about the line of scarlet thread that was used as a marker that when God's people took the city, Rahab would be saved. The scarlet thread that in typology weaves its way throughout the scriptures in typifying the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, somebody will say like, well, don't give me that line. Right? or follow my line of thought. And Here it says that their line, that is what they're saying, what they're trying to communicate, has gone throughout all the earth. The Bible talks about the plumb line in Job and Ezekiel when they're measuring things. They take a line and a, a bobber or plumb bob on the end and allow a perfectly straight line to be formed. Isaiah talks about the precepts of God's word that have to be taught line upon line. Okay? That doesn't just mean line of text in your Bible. <laughs> it means the line of precept, the line of thought, the teaching of the scripture, which has to be built one upon the other. That's how you learn the word of God. Line upon line, precept upon precept. There are words to the end of the world. Everyone can take them in says he set them as a tabernacle for the sun. You know, why is the sun where it is? Any Anyone? Any, anyone? <laughs> That's where God wanted it. You guys are starting to learn because I saw several hands go up on that one. Sun is required for life. Basically, the sun allows you to see, but you can't stare at it. I mean, not without some kind of apparatus. God gives us light, gives us life. Yet everywhere in the Bible, people have to hide their face from him, just like the sun. So it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, rejoicing as a strong man to run the race. And now we see that the, 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 the antecedents here are changing from the heavens and the firmament to this one who's likened to a bridegroom and a strong man, which is clearly typical of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the scriptures. And it says, there is nowhere that is hid from the heat thereof. No one hid from the heat of this sun. Malachi 4.2 says, but unto you that fear my name shall the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in its wings. That's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. But this same God is a God with whom we have to contend Luke three seventeen says, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor. He will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. Flip over to Romans chapter 1. Let's close this up. Nothing that is hid from the heat thereof. One day every knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You get the brief time, as the Bible calls it in James, of this life to bow willingly or to be put on your knees in judgment. Romans chapter 1, um, it's really a great cross reference in many ways to Psalm 19. <clears throat> well, look at verse 18 of Romans 1. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So here we have God revealing something from heaven. And he says that his, his, it's revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold truth in unrighteousness. So God's revealing something to them. He's revealing truth, but they're back with the person in Psalm 14 saying there is no God. There is no God. I don't answer to him. Because, verse 19, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Being understood by the things that are made, You explore his creation. You understand by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You hear all the time, well, what about those who've never heard? Everyone's heard. Now, they may not have heard the gospel. God's revelation, what we'd call his general revelation through the heavens, is not sufficient to save someone, but it is sufficient for them to know that their creator made them, that he exists. And God says, according to Romans chapter 1, that he holds them accountable for that knowledge. And part of what we're doing as his people is we're going out to the world say, here, let me, remember what Paul Harvey used to say to give you the rest of the story? Here, let me give you the rest of the story. Unless you're a complete fool, you know there's a God. Let, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about him. Where are you at this morning? I'd like to think that everyone in here has already come to that realization as well as come to a saving knowledge of the Savior. And if you have, praise the Lord and use these as the reminders that we all need from time to time. Use it as encouragement as you go about your day. And if you're here and you haven't, there'd be no better time than right now to make that right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. Lord, that the light that they give us, and thank you that we may know about you. Lord, we praise you and worship you because you are worthy. You are the creator and our redeemer. Lord, we love you. We pray your blessings on the remainder of this service in Jesus' name.